Chapter Twenty Two of the Spider by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Twenty Two: The End of It All. Towton could not quite understand the situation, as there was no time to consider matters. All he knew was that the Bolly Dam had burst, and even had Miss June not spoke the appalling noise would have informed him of the catastrophe with ida in his arms he spurred his horse frantically out of the gate and across the village bridge he found the crooked street filled with people called out by the unexpected thunder the dam's burst get on the high ground shouted towton and with a yell of fear men women and children began running wildly in the direction of the gorge and to disappear amongst the houses in the hope of gaining some level beyond the height of the downcoming flood but there was scanty time for safety the hollow booming sound of the waters plunging through the narrows sounded ever nearer and nearer with terrible distinctness it seemed as though the waters were bellowing for their prey in a moment the colonel comprehended that it was too late to skirt the village and gain the winding road where they would be safe ida gave a cry of alarm as he wrenched round the now startled horse and clattered through the village street on his way down the valley it seemed the only chance i'll save you yet my darling muttered towton setting his teeth we must make for gatehead and he drove his spurs into the animal which now was becoming unmanageable with the roaring of the flood ida almost insensible with terror clung to her lover's neck and the horse making no more of the double burden than if it had been a feather tore at top speed along the road between the torrent and the precipice there was no safety on either side as the precipice could not be climbed and the dry bed of the stream merely offered a deeper grave fortunately the road sloped gradually to the mouth of the valley some two miles away therefore the downward trend offered extra means to escape the pursuing greedy waters a backward glance showed towton that a tremendous flood was shooting out of the bottle mouth of the upper gorge with terrific rapidity the whole of the huge lake artificial as well as natural was emptying itself in one vast outpour and owing to the narrowness of the valley the concentrated force was gigantic if the flood caught them they would either be dashed to pieces against the rocks or would be borne onward horse and maid and man to be expelled at gatehead as if fired from the mouth of a cannon oh god save us oh god save us was all that ida could moan he will he will cried towton riding under spur and whip with a mad joy in the adventure perilous as it was he will save the innocent and punish the guilty never fear never fear my darling on roared the enormous body of water curling like a mighty wave crested with foam and glistening like a colossal jewel in the serene sunshine it passed with a hoarse triumphant screaming over the faded village and in a single moment bowderstyke was not bearing debris and bodies of cattle and men women and children on its breast the water rolled majestically on its destroying way like a wall of steel it stood up stretching from wall to wall of the valley and before it tore the terrified horse warned by its instinct of rapidly approaching danger we are lost we are lost screamed ida hiding her face on towton's shoulder we can never escape it's a mile further there's a crack a path a break in the precipice panted the man almost despairing of saving what he loved best in the world 
if we can gain that we can scramble up and and great god how it travels from the sides of the valley trees were being wrenched up by their roots and even the stones lying in the bed of the torrent were being lifted and swept onward like pieces of straw owing to the increasing breadth of the valley the shouting and the level of the flood had somewhat lessened but the hoarse steady murmur with which it smoothly advanced seemed to be even more terrible than its triumphant screaming nearer and nearer it rolled towering as it seems to the desperate fugitives right up to the high heavens the horse raced onward furiously but there seemed to be no chance of escaping that rapidly approaching death-wave which swept along with relentless speed the man and woman were both silent both prayed inwardly as they faced the eleventh hour of death and it was the eleventh hour for there was still hope rounding a corner swiftly towton rose in his stirrups and sent forth a cry almost as hoarse as that of the flood a short distance ahead he saw a streak of green grass marking the ruddy stone face of the precipice and knew that here was the crack to which he had referred it was a mere chink in the wall of no great width caused no doubt by the volcanic action which had formed the valley in far distant ages many a time as a lad had towton climbed up that narrow natural staircase to the moors above but never had he expected to find it a means of preserving his own life and the life he valued dearer than his own setting his teeth he glanced backward and then urged the horse to renewed efforts the wall of water was almost upon them advancing with terrible and steady persistence the last moment seemed to be at hand suddenly the colonel wrenched at the horse's bit and pulled the animal up with a jerk as it fell back on its haunches he slipped off with the almost insensible girl in his arms and ran desperately towards the sloping green bank which showed itself like a port of safety between the bare bleak stones as he gained it the horse having recovered itself rushed past with a loose bridle and with the stirrups lashing its sides but towton paid no heed almost in a dream he scrambled up the bank bearing ida as though she were a featherweight with straining eyes and bursting temples and with his heart beating furiously he clambered desperately dragging the girl rather than carrying her as he needed at least one hand free to grip the tough grasses fortunately the slope was gradual and had it not been there would have been no hope of escape as it was when they were a considerable way up the mighty wave surged majestically past and its waters shot up the crevice with gigantic force this was rather a help than a hindrance as it assisted the almost broken man to mount higher but to the end of his days colonel towton never knew how he saved his wife all he could remember was straining upward dragging the now insensible woman with aching limbs and a blood-red mist before his eyes when his brain was somewhat clearer he found himself bending over ida in a turfy nook while barely three feet below him the grey water gurgled and sang and bubbled as if in a witch's cauldron safe safe muttered towton and dropped insensible across the inanimate body of the woman he had so miraculously saved from a terrible death nine months later when the cuckoo had brought summer to the land and the earth was gay with flowers two married men met unexpectedly in the viridarium of the athenian club they came face to face under the peristyle and after mutual glances of surprise and congratulation burst out laughing then followed a warm handshake and merry speech well married man said vernon as he sat opposite his friend at a small table and ordered a half pint of champagne 
to signalize the happy meeting so you are back from your honeymoon as you see said the military benedict and you have returned with lady vernon from the classic shores of italy we came back last week and are staying in town for a few days before going to slimthorpe welcome by the tenantry triumphal arches addresses dinners and speeches and what not i suppose observed the colonel smiling oh yes the tenants are delighted to have a master who will take an interest in their doings and a mistress who can act the lady bountiful lucy and i are about to enter into our kingdom so we intend to take full advantage of the satisfaction of our loving subjects you are devilish lucky vernon i have scarcely a loving subject left and bowderstyke valley has been swept clean from end to end as i saw replied sir arthur with a shudder at the recollection by jove colonel you don't know what i suffered that afternoon when i thought that you and ida were smashed to pieces do you remember how lucy fainted when you appeared coming across the moorland with ida hanging half dead in your arm it was a meeting of the living and the dead any woman less plucky than ida would have died said towton his face lighting up with a fond smile when we got beyond the highest level of the water she had fainted and then i did it was ida who recovered first and by jupiter sir she brought me round how we climbed to the top of the moor i don't know but she was as plucky as a man bless her how is she now colonel as happy as the day is long although i don't deny that we both feel sad when we look at our wrecked property however with her money we intend to rebuild bowderstyke village and to reconstruct gatehead which was also destroyed if you remember i dare say we'll be able to inveigle people to live in the valley by offering land at low terms in a year or two we will have plenty of tenants to give you and lady vernon a rousing welcome when you pay us a visit that won't be for some time colonel as we have to look after our own kingdom i am glad to see that you are looking so well when was it that we last met towton laughed and his eyes twinkled you must be happy to have lost your memory so completely he said with a jolly laugh why after our mutual wedding breakfast at lady corsoon's don't you recollect weren't we married in great style on the same day and didn't you go to italy and greece for a honeymoon while ida and i returned to the grange it all seems like a dream said vernon absently and a cloud passed over his face and in my newly found happiness i have tried to forget these sad memories we never had an exhaustive talk over things colonel and now that our wives are not here i should like to ask a few questions ask away it's just as well we are alone ida doesn't care to talk of that dreadful day or of her association with miss hest nor does lucy that dreadful woman what a daredevil she was and as clever as they make them she was a sight too clever replied towton dryly as she burnt her fingers at the last i suppose you know that miss jewin was caught you wrote me something about it didn't lady corsoon tell you anything no why should she said vernon with a look of surprise well as you knew the secret of her pawning those jewels i thought she would have told you of their recovery what they were recovered who had them miss jewin she escaped but drench caught her she sent for me before she committed suicide vernon looked horrified did she kill herself poor wretch yes she hanged herself by her garters in her cell i expect she knew that she would get a long term of imprisonment and so preferred to get out of the world but as i said she sent for me and told me where the jewels were 
She also threw a light on the catastrophe of the Bali Dam breaking. "'We knew that Hokar exploded a charge of dynamite,' said Vernon, looking inquiringly at his friend. "'Don't you remember how he could not get away in time, and confessed when dying that he had been ordered by Miss Hest to blow up the dam when she gave the signal by firing a revolver?' "'Oh, yes, I remember that, as it all came out in the papers,' said Towton with a shrug. "'And that's just the point. Listen, and—oh, here's the wine.' vernon sent away the waiter after he filled their glasses and the two gentlemen drank to their dear wives and to a happy future for themselves as married men when this ceremony was ended the colonel related what he had learned from the unfortunate miss jewin before she passed away it seemed that miss hest furious at maunder's treachery dragged him down in disguise to gerby hall and there locked him in an upper room Miss Jewin acted as jailer, but in spite of her vigilance, the wretched man managed to break one of his prison bars and escape. He then appeared in the drawing-room and denounced Miss Hest, always prepared for further treachery on the part of, of Maunders, and never being in the habit of leaving anything to chance, Francis had arranged that she should have the dam broken down in event of the police coming to arrest her, and so they would be destroyed but she would be destroyed with them said vernon at this point as a matter of fact she was don't you remember how her body and that of maunders clutching one another in a death grip were found when the flood subsided she anticipated her death she did nothing of the sort sir as miss jewin told me the betrayal of her identity with francis hest and with the spider came unexpectedly because of maunders escape but always making things sure she had already posted hokar at the dam where he had placed a charge of dynamite under the wall. Miss Hest didn't expect much trouble, as she thought she had thrown dust in my eyes by the clever way in which she had acted. "'I think she did, Colonel, and very successfully,' remarked Vernon, smiling. "'I admit it. She was a wonderfully clever woman and extremely unscrupulous. However, on the chance that some danger might come along, she posted Hokar at Bali Dam and told him to fire the charge when he heard the report of a revolver.' vernon nodded i remember on that day how the wind was blowing up the gorge and how clearly the sounds came up from the village hokar heard the shots very easily he heard two or three and might have guessed that his infernal mistress was not giving the agreed signal she was shooting maunders if you remember it was her intention after we left to have escaped by a similar crack up the side of the precipice behind gerby hall to that which saved ida and myself but she didn't intend to give the signal until she was on the upward journey with Miss Jewin. Maunders was to be left behind to drown in the house, but Miss Hest forgot for the moment and let her temper get the better of her. By firing the shot she gave the signal, and Hokar blew up the dam prematurely. I see, but if Miss Jewin escaped, why didn't Miss Hest? Ah, there's where her nemesis came in maunders caught her by the leg and toppled her over then he gripped her throat and they were both drowned serve her right and him also said vernon coolly i agree with you they were a dangerous couple and it seems like retributive justice that maunders should bring all her carefully laid plans of escape to grief miss jewin at the first alarm caught up the box of lady corsoon's jewels and fled out of the back way and up the crevice as arranged she concealed herself for a time and was warned by the exhaustive reports in the papers of what was going on that's the worst of those papers said vernon with disgust as i found out when i was a detective 
they warn the criminals of everything i suppose miss jewin saw how the story of the spider was set forth and appreciated the sensation it caused of course she did i was angry at the papers myself for the grange was simply infested with reporters and journalists and photographers however after the inquest the sensation died away everybody has more or less forgotten the matter by this time it's just as well as neither i nor you vernon wished to be bothered with questions quite so that was why i remained abroad with my wife for such a time and that was why i went back with ida to bowderstyke said the colonel however to continue drench caught miss jewin and she hanged herself in her cell as i have told you i found the box of jewels and returned them to your mother-in-law thus her husband has never found out how she pawned them so that's all right i hope it has been a lesson to her not a bit of it i dined with her a week ago and so did ida afterwards we went to a bridge drive and lady corsoon played furiously she's a born gambler but sir julius does not know and will never know how she pawned his much prized family jewels i wonder miss jewin didn't sell them she had enough money to live on in a small way and of course lived plainly to avert suspicion the jewels she kept as a peace-offering in case she should be arrested she hoped to make terms by threatening to denounce lady corsoon however her heart failed her and she handed them over to me poor woman by the way colonel what was your wife's real opinion of miss hest i could never quite understand towton was silent for a few minutes it is hard to say ida told me that she really liked miss hest for a long time and thought that she was a genuine friend but miss hest showed the cloven foot by trying to get ida married to maunders and why to maunders because he was under miss hest's thumb and if he obtained possession of ida's fortune by marriage miss hest undoubtedly would have had the spending of it but this marriage to francis how could that be when francis didn't exist oh i think that was a mere blind to make ida fancy francis was a real person and not miss hest in disguise i can never understand added the colonel with a thoughtful look how it was that ida didn't detect the woman under the man women are so quick in these matters it was the very boldness of the disguise said vernon emphatically i was taken in myself at that georgian hall bazaar a less clever woman than miss hest would have made herself look utterly different to her natural self as it was she scarcely changed her looks at all save by wearing a man's dress and painting that cicatrice on her face any one would have said that the supposed brother was the sister dressed up such actually was the case and well you know that every one was taken in a thousand pities colonel that miss hest did not apply her splendid faculties to better purpose she was undeniably very clever a criminal genius as we have often said when we talked of the spider i must say that professor gale although he admired her talents was staggered when he found out from the papers that she was the renowned spider i believe he had a fit however he has now made up endless romantic stories about her and actually got an engagement with his wife on the strength of having known her it's an ill wind which blows no one any good if francis hest had lived and could have escaped hanging and imprisonment colonel she would have been engaged at a music-hall to appear at a salary of hundreds a week this age likes romantic criminality i think miss hest's criminality was prosaic in the extreme said the colonel very dryly 
she couldn't earn money honestly and therefore took the left-handed path all her philanthropy was a sham and i really believe that she had the bolly dam built less to supply the villages with water than to protect herself from arrest but the human lives pooh she thought nothing of human life and was a kind of female napoleon in that way she wrung dimsdale's neck as though he had been a chicken the moment she found her personal safety was in danger had he not torn off her mask and thus recognized her she would have spared him a marvellously clever woman she quite took me in i never expected to find the spider in her and had not maunders escaped to betray her i would have believed that the non-existing francis was the blackguard and more she would have got ten thousand pounds from ida and perhaps in america would have started on a new career of roguery however i recovered the signed document and the cheque from the body so nothing was said about that matter in the papers i was glad for my wife's sake what became of bahadur he bolted from the country and has never been heard of his uncle hokar as you know died after the explosion and mrs bedge she buried all memory of constantine with his bones but i think she regards him as a martyr who was led astray by miss hest yet from the lips of the spider herself i learned that it was maunders who induced that very clever lady to become a criminal do you think maunders himself blackmailed his aunt he was quite capable of it but i think miss hest did that to protect maunders from possible suspicion for no one would think that the man had anything to do with the matter of the spider who blackmailed his adopted mother simply a smart trick of miss hest's vernon that's all have some more champagne colonel thank you no more come along and see my wife i have to meet lucy at swan and edgar's said vernon glancing at his watch i'll go with you there first and then we can have afternoon tea together right you are colonel on condition that you dine with lucy and myself at our hotel and come to the theatre afterwards towton nodded well ida and i are up in town for a frolic so we'll come when do you return to bowderstyke in two or three days i'm seeing about the rebuilding of the bolly dam isn't that dangerous asked vernon as they left the club no i am arranging for large channels to carry off the water besides had not the dam been blown up by that indian beast the catastrophe would not have taken place any more questions no said sir arthur after a pause i think you have enlightened me on every point we'll talk no more of the matter not in the presence of our wives at all events said the colonel bluffly and stepping out smartly along pall mall but when i think of all the mystery and devilish cantrips we have had to do with and how narrowly ida and i escaped a dreadful death i can only thank god that we are happily married there's one small domestic animal if it can be called so vernon on which i can never look without a shudder what's that asked arthur not following his friend's train of thought what sir what have you forgotten the past already oh vernon laughed but somewhat seriously you mean a spider yes snapped the colonel sharply i mean a spider end of chapter twenty two end of the spider by fergus hume read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california